What is up, guys? Welcome back. And we are now joined. I don't even want to do the intro because I won't do it justice. P, who are we talking to now? You may have heard the term. Um, you may have heard of the painting, excuse me, American Gothic. That painting was actually named after our next guest who <laughs> traveled into the future to protect the past and also our future. We've got American Hoddle joining us, creator of so many memes, Rapscallion, Bitcoin 2022 speaker. Hoddle, welcome. Thank you for joining hey, us. Hey, friends. How's it going? It's going oh, well. Hello. How am I positioned to be frank? I, I do have to admit the, the job title of Rapscallion on the B22 list of speakers was probably my favorite. I, uh, I need to get a career in rapscallionry. On Bitblock Boom's speaker list, I had Gary Wright. American Hoddle is a dude who has 6.15 Bitcoin. <laughs> That's my qualifications, bitch. That's all I need. It is all you need. For those that don't know, American Hoddle created the 6.15 meme and many others. Uh, By the way, uh, people have been asking me you know, a lot during the last few months, like, what's the new number what's the new stacking goal you know it's it's still 6.15 have you not checked the price like come on you can still do 6.15 <laughs> it's more relevant than ever today exactly we kind of sh exactly. shifted we shifted to like uh you know just a whole coiner like just get that whole coin and now uh if you like bitcoin at sixty nine thousand, great number by the way uh you should like it even more at this price because you can actually stack that mythical 6.15 yeah. I feel like listen, there's a lot of people out here driving $40,000 cars, okay? So if you can have a $40,000 fucking car, you can have two Bitcoin. Get a second one. Get your Bitcoin a friend. You know what I mean? Come on. As yeah. uh, someone who lives with his parents and doesn't have a car in the city of Los Angeles, let me tell you, this, uh, this weekend of trying to like, what can I sell? My girlfriend was really mad when I suggested the dog. Dogs are By the way, Q, Q, were you at the beefsteak in LA? In LA, oh, uh, the one with Andy at yeah. Andy's place. I yeah. unfortunately couldn't make it. Make it. I had a family commitment that night. Oh, uh, lame. I was there. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> so I was fucking around giving a joke answer. How do, how would you describe yourself? How would you? What is the? What's the intro that you would give yourself? Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just like I'm literally just a dude who hodls big. <laughs> it's not. It's not like a better descriptor. I'm not trying don't to don't need more than that, man. Think boy or whatever. Like I have some thoughts. I have some strong opinions. I'm just a random dude. I like to talk shit. I like to hodl Bitcoin. End of list. You know. I want to. I want to throw out the first thing we talked about to hodl and get his reaction before we get to the part part of the this conversation where hodl's going to be like, "You're a fucking idiot, Q," and I lost all respect that I gained for you in this very short time. I've actually never met you. Never talked to you. Super excited big fan of your work thanks man i'm gonna start with something that like let's memeify this shit so christine lagarde has never received an economics degree until this weekend <laughs> you laugh but i'm dead fucking serious this honorary a, degree bullshit yeah. is her first economics degree but sure like let's trust her to run the european banks I also think when you refer to her, you should refer to her as uh, convicted criminal Christine Lagarde, because that's what she is. I mean, what, what what was she convicted for? Oh, How did this God. not come up in background? So, I need an assistant. Yeah, now you're gonna ask me now. Now I can't remember some fraud thing. As as an as an American, I'm very uh, xenophobic to European affairs. I'm like, oh, whatever. Who knows what's going on? With that? 
Uh, I think I've pulled it up. She was accused over Bernard Tapie fraud in 2013. Sounds about right. Yeah, Pretty she sure did. she was convicted for it, but yeah, she, she got was. like slap on the wrist. Yeah, she was convicted. I forget. I don't know the exact uh, specifics either, but she basically, as I understand it, uh, was convicted of, oh, there it is. She did some shady shit and got her friends paid a bunch of money. And then yeah, but they... you know, you're high up in the European Union, you're protected or whatever, right? Exactly. So, it's like, so they were yeah. like, she's, you still know, running, she's still running shit to this day. The IMF board said it had full confidence in her leadership. That was a quote from that article. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I wish I could just blindly like say like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I'll give a fuck. Just take the economy. We're good. It's like that meme where the guy is celebrating at the Olympics and you find out he's third place. Which honestly right, valid because right. at least he got on the podium. Second place is always the one that's pissed. Yeah, I think people like Lagarde or like Powell to a lesser degree. I consider Powell smarter than Lagarde, but I think they're interesting. They're what's known as a steady hand, right? Like they're put there because the people in power, in real power, know that they can count on them to do the wrong thing, right? And that. Uh, so that's that's basically like why they're there in the first place. They know they're going to do what they want them to do. Otherwise, you don't get the nomination, right? You're not going to you're not going to be elected to that position. I'm curious though. Why do you hold Powell to a lesser degree to that? Powell, for all intents and purposes, uh, no, has been a government same. stooge for 20 years. I've talked about this before. I think it's the same system of selective pressures. I also don't think that we should hold ourselves um, above. You know, people like Jerome Powell, I think if you were sitting in Jerome Powell's chair, uh, you would you would probably have the same incentives and you would act in the exact same same manner. You would comport yourself the same way. Right. So it's like it's really humans are emergent properties of the systems in which they inhabit. And, you know, no one is better than their incentives. Right. If your incentive is uh, to do the wrong thing, you're probably going to do the wrong thing. Yeah, I think that's a really important, really important point. It's easy to kind of yeah. uh, alienate and otherize everyone who is not uh following one's own personal dogma but it's not as realistic and effective as actually acknowledging that the incentives drive the outcome i think this is a great opportunity for me to announce my candidacy for the next fed chair because i do believe that i could have run the country better than jerome powell but i'm just that asshole i disagree with you my friend we, we talked about this, Hoddle. I don't know if you, you overheard, but given the fact that I have an undergraduate degree in finance that I barely maintain a three above a 3.0, I think I got a 3.2 in college, that that alone has me as more qualified to run the Federal Reserve than Jerome Powell and his extensive law background and law degrees. I mean, it only makes sense, right? You could probably run uh, one of Solana's DAOs. For sure, you at least would be qualified. You don't need. You don't even need a GED for that. You know. Wait, can we talk? Like, fuck Solana first off, but like, I do want to talk about the absurdity of what happened. Did you guys see this over the weekend? Right. Well, it's like I mean, to me, it was like, what's the what's the big gotcha news headline that Solana is centralized? Like, yeah, no shit. Like, file that under no shit. We knew that the whole time, you know. I mean, it's just funny that like people thought, oh, it's. Like, this is going to be a tried and true fair election process. And then, boom, no. The person with a million fucking tokens voted a million times for themselves. No shit. It's literally how it works, though, right? That's how it works. That's how the system is set up. You yeah. know. But hey, proof of stake, man. Okay, wait. So I have a, an important question for you, Hoddle. And then uh, I want to dive into your thoughts on just 
the psychology that that uh, everyone is experiencing, the types of um, how one's outlook on them on the Bitcoin space changes as you go through these cycles. So the, the question mm-hmm. is, uh, Mary fuck kill, Lagarde, Yellen, Powell, and I'm going to throw a wild card in there, Karstens. Karstens. Okay, wait. Now I have a fourth option though. That's Do right. I- there's only marry three. someone twice? Is this no, no, no. You, you only get to choose the, th- the three. So <laughs> marry, fuck, kill of those four options. But I have to choose Carson's for... Now no, no, no. you threw a whole... This you is can, you, no, no, no. You have... I'm, I'm trying to make it easier for you because this is an impossible question, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to give you the number of a suicide hotline afterwards after you have to think about it too much. But you have four options and you have to choose three of them. Oh, okay, okay. I can. It's a pool. It's a pool. Okay. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's like I'm, a DAO, you know. It's I'm going like to... I'm going to kill, um, I'm going to kill Karstens, uh, you know, by the way, if you're from an intelligence agency, this is a joke, this is a game, it's theoretical, I was asked a question, okay, okay, I can actually kill that man, um, <laughs> second of all, I think you got to fuck Lagarde, right, like, straight up, there's like some, there's some vibes there, bro, like, I mean, I don't know, like, she looks like she's down to clown, uh, next up, you got to marry Pal, because he's got access to the biggest money printer on earth. And then Yellen, I don't know. Yellen reminds me of like Danny DeVito in Batman Returns. Like she looks like a penguin. Like I'm not, that, <laughs> put that aside. Like I don't even want to look at her. You know what I mean? So she's not part of my pool, you know? You're definitely not signing that prenup when you marry Powell though. <laughs> <laughs> well, said. well said. Yeah, Yellen gets uh, the bag over her head for sure. I, mean, I would just be Paper like, bag. um, dad. Daddy Jerome, um, can you print me a trillion billion dollars, please? Thank you. I'm going shopping. Yeah. Uh, I just want to buy some more Bitcoin with it. Yeah, thank I just, you. I wanted a bag. I just really want a Birkin. Can I have a trillion dollars for that, please? You know, inflation. It's up 8.6. Dude. <laughs> okay. I was having this conversation with my dad last night over Father's Day dinner. Happy happy father, belated Father's Day to, to you, Mr. Hoddle. Much appreciated. Um. And we, we were talking about like just a, a fish taco place that he likes to go to for lunch sometimes. And he was like, dude, two months ago, I paid $8. I just went yesterday and I paid $13. And they still have the audacity to tell us that inflation is, oh, it's 8.6% right now. It's like, it, it's really not. It's an average of a bunch of things that come out to 86 but that's why you're seeing over 100% inflation on your gas price. Like, holy shit. I filled up my dad's Suburban. Half a tank was over $100 yesterday at Costco, no less. So, yeah. sorry, mini rant. I had to do it. I had to say it. Also, okay. I wanted to be the one to wish you a happy Father's Day and not pee. Appreciate it. You beat me to it and I resent you for it. Can I pull so- up the inflation chart from everywhere <laughs> around the world? Could go for it. We could just have it. I'm just going to keep going down this. So, Chris, this would be the global central bank policy rate. So, wait, wait. While we pull that up, Hoddle, I wanted to ask you. We've been talking on Clubhouse all weekend, right? Obviously, the price dipped. uh, What was the low? 17, 17, 17, 17.6. 17.6. Yeah. So, yeah, 17.6. I definitely definitely felt that in my nethers. And oh, yeah. No, the Bitcoin price was so low, like it needs to call me and apologize for hurting my feelings. Like if we're going to have a relationship going forward, you know, like that's how low it was. It was like, how how could you do this to me? You know? Yeah, I, I felt the same way. <laughs> I felt attacked, offended, betrayed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, how are you thinking about this? What, what 
how did that affect you? How did... Yeah, so around, like, when we didn't hold, like, 25 to 26 as the low, I knew we were going to break below 20. Like, you could just feel it. And I was like, when we break below 20, it's going to be kind of a ceremonial killing of the sacred cow because, you know, effectively, like, with the inflation rate where it is and, like, the expansion in M2, we were already above um, the 2017, or, sorry, we were already below the 2017 all-time high. And... You know, usually in prior cycles, like we've gotten, you know, two, three X above prior all time highs. So we weren't even close to two, three X above prior all time highs. So it was it was sort of a formality at some point that we were going to fall below 20. And uh, when we did fall below 20, I, th I think it was actually like, you know, I, I was I was watching what was happening with the other Bitcoiners. And there was a lot of certainly a lot of pain because a lot of people thought this can never happen. And it's just like. Listen, man, if you've ever seen that Weimar chart, I think Gigi was posting it uh, two days ago. You know, that's the story you're living through. And there's a lot of volatility in that chart. And I think one of the things I, I sort of intuited over the last few days is like for us to reach million dollar Bitcoin, we have to stomach more volatility, not less. And so I think this like Michael Saylor driven narrative of like the volatility is going down. I think it's bullshit. Um, I think the volatility is going up or, you know, it's remaining constant. But the fluctuations are greater which feels the same like emotionally and also like there's this thing about like when we when i was 25 and i first found bitcoin and you know i certainly allocated a lot of money to it for being 25 and like we all had a good belief in it but it wasn't our whole world it wasn't our whole life and now you know all my friends are bitcoiners we like a lot of people work in the industry look at you guys like you're you're all in on this thing people are levered on top of bitcoin both with their their social life, their career aspirations, their personal wealth, their family fortune, everything, everything. It's all in. So like when you get a correction, it's going to feel devastating emotionally. And you just have to sort of steal yourself for that psychologically and just push through and be like, listen, did anything fucking change fundamentally with Bitcoin? No. And this narrative around like, you know, the shitcoin stuff of like the cascading liquidations in DeFi land, like the fuck do you care? You knew that was going to happen. If you're like a smart Bitcoiner with your head on your shoulders, you should have known that DeFi was daisy chained together and that eventually it would collapse. I mean, certainly I've been telling people that for two fucking years, three years, like since DeFi summer. And so it was obvious it was going to come at some point. That has nothing to do with the Bitcoin price. Maybe there's some extra special pain associated with it, like a few percentage points. Maybe there's a 10% uh, lower correction because of, you know, the DeFi ecosystem collapsing or whatever. But really, this is about the Fed and this is about interest rates and this is about, you know, the Fed trying to create demand destruction. They're trying to fuck up the wealth effect, drive people back to work, get a labor uh, surplus. And so, you know, you're living in a macro environment because Bitcoin's a large macro asset now versus for, you know, fastest ever asset to a trillion dollars. And like, this is big boy shit. We're in the big boy leagues. Put on your big boy fucking pants and stop crying in your goddamn cereal. You know what I mean? Do you well think... Said. You brought up leverage, and I, I'm genuinely interested if you think leverage had an impact on the hype Bitcoin was able to reach during this most recent bull run. Before you answer that, Hoddle, yeah. I want to welcome our oh, uh, second contender, Brad Mills. Welcome to the stage. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Bradley Mills. Is this thing on? It is. You look like... You're in sort of like a low rent, low budget, like phantom zone. What's going on? Yeah, I've got a loan from Richard Hart and uh, oh. all, all the uh, all the 
high high tech, high brand stuff's coming. It's just stuck in customs. This is a sick he burn, bro. He's sending me all his extra purses and tracksuits. So you just got this for now. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, you heard the last few minutes of uh, of Hoddle eloquently giving his thoughts. We're just talking about the um, the what happened over the weekend, market psychology, how Bitcoiners are thinking about this, and the narratives that are developing. So feel free to jump in at any time. Uh, view this more as a you know clubhouse style conversation, which is to say, all of us talking over each okay. other. And- Absolutely not. Shut the fuck up, P. Do not talk over each other. This is not Clubhouse. Like, do, do whatever literally, you want. Do not listen to my co Literally, do whatever the fuck do you want. Do not do that. All right, all right. Um, but yeah, man. Welcome to the welcome to the conversation. Hoddle. Q just asked you a question. Oh Q, yeah, you wanna... classic, but yeah. So I don't I don't think leverage is a big part of the Bitcoin story. Uh, certainly, the bears are coming out saying shit like that now. They always say shit like that though. It's like you only got here because of tether. You know, it's like come on. We got here because people believe in Bitcoin. People are choosing to allocate to Bitcoin. You know, Tesla put Bitcoin on its balance sheet. Like there was, you know, a lot of positive momentum. We were in a strong bull market, and I think that leverage certainly has some, you know, uh, force to play in the Bitcoin story. Unfortunately, one of the greatest sins is that we're all extremely bullish on Bitcoin, probably to our detriment at some point. And if you're a weak bull, if you're a bull who's so bullish that you put yourself in a leverage position when you're about to blow up. Unfortunately, you actually become a bear because you're a forced seller at the fucking bottom and then you drive the price lower, right? So it's not a good position to be in if you can't stomach it. You know what I mean? If you can stomach the margin calls, like just know that there's a potential for them and, you know, uh, be, be prepared for what's coming because whatever you think Bitcoin can't go to, whatever number you think, oh, it'll never do that, it will. Like Bitcoin will cause the most pain to the most amount of people for the most amount of time and only the strong fucking survive. So if you're left standing at the end, you're one of the chosen ones, the few, the proud, the brave. You know what I mean? If not, nice knowing you. Like, uh, you're not meant for this life, baby. Get out while you can. Sell now. Sell today. <laughs> Sell it to me. <laughs> I'll buy your discount on sale. I mean, uh, Bitcoin on discount. You know no, I'll give you a better rate than me, I promise. Um, Brad, you missed, uh, my mini rant on, I don't really feel like attacking Lagarde anymore, but on inflation, Chris, can we pull up that chart now? So what we have here on the screen that you guys can see very, very difficultly, but a lot easier if you just zoom in on your own. (laughs) Um, thank you, Chris. So there is country, the rate, there's a central bank rate as of today, And then right next to it is the CPI year over year. And what you're essentially seeing with this is as you go down the list, the countries just have a higher and higher rate. It's not a perfect direct correlation, but in my opinion, it is strong enough to say, oh, these, as these rates are going up, you're also seeing the inflation number go up. Um, Let's play a little cause and effect here. What are chicken and the egg what are you guys are what are you guys accounting for coming first here was it the inflation that came first and then these higher rates or was it this fear of higher rates that inevitably led to inflated prices uh, i mean i'll throw my hat in the ring with i think the inflation was before the rates and then you know the rates are uh a response a reactionary response by the fed 
to try and stem inflation and they're caving to political pressure. And that's why you're seeing what you're seeing right now. I think that the um, the real rate that we should pay attention to is the rate of increase of asset prices and the CPI inflation numbers seem to be like a lagging a lagging effect of destruction of the monetary supply like debasement of the mon money supply and it, it it's hard to like figure out what causes what especially in a bitcoiner in, in bitcoin because as a bitcoiner we come into this like usually from the rabbit hole of gold bugs or libertarians or whatever and we're just taught that like the fed prints the money and that's you know fed money printer go burr and that's the problem and bitcoin solves this and it's only until you start to really dig into like what's happening globally and uh how money supply actually increases and what money really is that i find that um it, it, it's it's a lot more of like a long-term thing like all these all the people that are saying well the fed is in charge right now and it's you know the markets are crashing because the fed is trying to roll off the balance sheet and raise interest rates i feel like that's just short-sighted it's just like hoddle says this in clubhouse all the time it's just like ast astrology for men like technical analysis is just astrology for men well i think all these fed watcher people are just like playing that same game of like astrology for macro board people or whatever like i really don't think the fed is the reason why like the markets are crashing i think it's just a symptom of the markets were due for a correction and a crash because central banks over time keeping interest rates low artificially keeping interest rates low has allowed asset bubbles to inflate and now we're seeing a symptom of that combined with craziness in the world in the macro picture with the Russia-Ukraine war with the struggle between China and the United States and Russia's dominance for what the next hundred years of global um, superpower, you know, how that's just going to shake out. That's causing supply chain disruptions that are exogenous to whatever the Fed can do to try to control the short-term interest rates. The Fed's not going to be able to do anything when it comes to like fixing the supply chain issues that are happening between this like global struggle of control over global reserve currency status global reserve asset status so i think it's more important to just watch the macro geopolitical picture and then recognize that there's massive inflationary pressures because of the the disruption of supply chains it was for the last 50 years i guess more than that but since Bretton woods We've had this paradigm where the United States has been basically keeping everybody's supply chains moving and securing uh, securing the, the global supply trade routes and allowing countries to access the United States' massive booming economy. And we're kind of entering into this new paradigm where the United States is not effectively able to project that that threat into the world like you're seeing you're seeing like <laughs> sovereigns getting their assets seized and it's just it's chaos it's volatility it, it's not the same status quo as it was before so i think that is also just as important to follow than you know in terms of cpi inflation than this what the central banks are doing like it's it's two pretty wild things that are happening right now that 
I think is Ray Dalio's got the right picture. When if you watch his latest video, uh, Principles for a Changing World Order, he put out this 45 minute, really highly well produced video that talks about these issues of what happens through history when the paradigm shifts when the global reserve currency changes. And we're in this paradigm now where the the dollar as the global reserve currency and the U.S. Treasury as the world's reserve asset is on the decline. It's not like it's irreversible, but there is this, I think, a balkanization of global reserve status. And I think Bitcoin is going to play a major role in that next phase of what what the global reserve asset and global reserve currency is going to be. I'm not like one of the people I used to be one of the people that's like Bitcoin's going to be the global reserve currency. But more so now, I think Bitcoin's just going to play a role over the next decade, an increasing role as a reserve asset, like, you know, a post trust reserve asset. Like, so. if I'm understanding that correctly, Brad, you're talking something to the tune of like a basket of possible goods or assets that could all be shared or used depending on each country's risk appetite, if you will. Like some country will have gold and Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. Like some countries are most of the global trade actually is settled in in uh, U.S. treasuries. If you, if you actually like boil it down, because the dollar is pretty much backed by U.S. treasuries as the deepest, most liquid, trusted, reserved like asset in the world, as as that kind of becomes more Ponzi-esque, like there's $30 trillion of debt, the debt just keeps growing. The Federal Reserve owns $9 trillion of, I think it's $9 trillion, or government, GSEs and the Fed own, I think, $11 trillion of the debt. So Social Security and other government arm's length entities, they own so much of the debt that, nine trillion is going to mature over the next two years there's nine trillion of the 30 trillion going to mature somebody's got to buy that and you know we're starting to see a reduction in demand for mbs like mortgage-backed securities we're, we're, we're seeing like a bit of a, a, a stagnation in demand for treasuries by the people that would buy nine trillion dollars <laughs> like that's a lot of money and you know obviously with the way things are going um the Fed's going to have to buy it. Like, I don't I don't understand where the demand is going to come from. And if and it, uh, if it's the Fed buying that maturing debt because they have to issue new debt, we all know they're not going to, like, let the balance sheet roll off and not issue new debt. They have to keep funding the government. So they're going to they're going to issue more debt. And nine trillion is a lot over the next two years. So it's going to be central banks like it's going to be the Fed buying it, basically. So that's kind of like Ponzi esque. So like when when do we start to hear about possible salary cuts from the federal government? I'm just I'm just spitballing here on on ways we could save some money and I feel like paying all 200 and plus or how how many members of Congress are there? 500, right? Something like 500, each of them make six-figure salary. I'm just saying, yeah, okay, fine, 50 million is not that much. But I'm just saying <laughs> yeah, I actually Bitcoin Tina has a great idea that uh, I'm I'm a fan of, which is I I think we should actually give them more money. We should give them more discretionary income, and then we should create like a country club for them where there's like hookers and cocaine, and then they just go there and they don't do any actually like they don't put laws on the books. They, <laughs> they stay at the night. So just do what they do now. Track the club. Yeah, and like it's got everything a congressman could want. It's got like you can bribe people. You know what I mean you. Can, 
<laughs> this is this is literally just what they do now. Just we're gonna make it a fit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. We'll call it the meat verse. By the way, I, I pretty much agree with most of the things Brad said about the macro environment. I also think like um, the Fed put is still in place, and uh, you know it's it's possibly lower because they're trying to uh, you know chisel down the CPI, um, but it's still there. And at some point, like the Fed will reverse course. Uh, the everything bubble is not popped. It's just my my like. There's this thing of like metaphorical truth and actual truth. And I think Bitcoiners are really good at finding out the metaphorical truth, um, which is like money printer go burr. But when you dig into the actual truth of like how the euro dollars uh, system works, you know what I mean? Like things get really complicated. And if we're being honest with ourselves, like we're all fucking really stupid about it. And we don't know what we're talking about. And we're trying to figure it out. And the game's being played at a higher level than I think we realized. But the metaphorical truth of like, there's going to be increasing monetary stimulus and there will be increasing uh, volatility and liquidity crunches along the way. I think that's real. That's happening. And there's nothing uh, that can stop that. But what that means in practical terms, if you're a Bitcoin hodler, is that you know there's going to be a lot of emotional volatility along the way for you to get there. Right. And so you, you basically just have to like steal your resolve and practice stoicism because it's going to be a bumpy fucking ride. Like when Powell is out there saying we're going to have a softish landing, that means I'm about to bring the plane down fucking hard as shit. Prepare, like prepare yourself, you know, and that's what they're doing now. Yeah, like we all thought a year ago that we could see this happening. We could see that if they were going to try to um, raise interest rates and roll off the balance sheet, you know, do a stop QE, raise the interest rates and and do disinflate the bubble instead of popping the bubble, then it was going to cause massive pain and it was going to be a pop in the housing market. Uh, we yeah. just all thought that they wouldn't do this. We all thought that they would because they're caught between the rock and the hard place where they got to they gotta make the, the, the political decision to ruin people financially well, I think or one of the things, continue one of the, things, the, the crazy money printing, which is going to ruin the bottom 50% like, in I, terms I of wealth. we... We underestimated the effect that uh, Russia Ukraine would have on CPI. I think Russia Ukraine has had a tremendous impact on, you know, obviously gas at the pump and also like uh, commodities exports, like so food. And, you know, if there was not this conflict with Russia and if we hadn't, you know, cut Russia off of our system and if we had an appetite to drill for oil, which clearly the Biden administration didn't. Uh, I, I don't know if we'd have CPI as high as we do. I think it might still be lower. There's a lot of deflationary forces in the economy, you know. Wait. Yeah, I but mean, that. Hang but, on, hang on. It's I not. It's not quite this. as. It's not quite as simple as Bitcoiners think it is. Where it's like they printed money, and so now <laughs> everything is inflated. It's like no, there's they shut down the economy. There's massive supply chain disruption. That you know what I mean. There's a commodity war going on between uh, Russia and the U.S. and NATO. So it's just like there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of shit happening, and they can kick the can down the road farther if they didn't have some of these like more um, overt geopolitical pressures. You know. So I'm I'm trying to figure out the way to phrase this in the nicest way possible to someone that I've genuinely just met 30 minutes ago. But we're a country that imports maybe 10% of our oil from Russia. And at the same time, we have sanctioned countries like Iran and Venezuela and limit imports from Saudi Arabia. 
And we really don't think those have a greater material impact on the price of oil than the like. I don't buy the Putin price hikes. It's, it's the only of thing. The, it's the less only... of the American market, and it's more of the European okay. market. For fair, fair, yeah, and that's having an effect on the euro dollar futures market. It's a, it's a whole. You know, everything's daisy chained together. It's a well, very and it's, complicated system. It, it's also the struggle between China and and the West because China basically had what was it 40 years or 30 years of like extreme investment from from the US which China allowed their lower class to be brought up into like f first class status or whatever like higher higher income middle class status and i mean China's gotten massive growth off of this peaceful sort of free market um paradigm we've been under and it almost feels like China, China, like everybody knows that this is unsustainable. You cannot just keep printing money and keeping rates low and investing all over the world and expect it to just continue going up forever. So at this point, it feels like we've gotten the most we can go we could get out of this USD like reserve thing where there's like over a billion people in China and a billion people in India and like they're not getting any of the benefit from the US dollar as the reserve currency status and shit's about to hit the fan it is hitting the fan so if you're china and you're like trying if this is if you're thinking thinking about this adversarially if you're china and you know that there's going to be rough times ahead for you as a country that has to feed a billion people and keep control of people you've you've deployed social credit scores, you've got communism that kind of removes people's ability to even think about politics because there is no politics there. It's just the Communist Party. But the shit's about to hit the fan. You want to be treated like a superpower. You want to have more control over global supply trade and, you know, uh, relationships with other countries for securing commodities for your for your people, whatever. United States is trying to continue to be like the policeman of the world and keep the supply trades open and export inflation through the dollar everywhere. But how is that fair to the rest of the world? If you're China and you're like getting the shaft from the export of inflation, you've already benefited massively from, you know, the benefit of like having the rest of the world and especially the United States export their manufacturing sector to you and you've gotten all that benefit well that can't that, that that like paradigm is done pretty much we know that like the shift is like the united states now is trying to encourage all these companies to start building building up the factories again up in the united states so i mean it is kind of like a, a battle happening so you think about it like you're gonna suffer if you're china you're gonna suffer so would you suffer just alone or would you rather suffer with everybody else suffering too and if you're china and you control all this all this like microchips and all this shit like you would use covid as an excuse zero covid as an excuse to drive cpi inflation in your in the west i mean all this zero covid stuff where they're shutting down shenzhen and you know banning the export of fertilizer and banning the export of microchips and all this stuff saying like oh it's covid I mean, honestly, this is it's, it's obviously just a way to drive civil unrest in the West. And it's a way to drive prices up. It's to inflict massive damage or it's to inflict as much suffering as they can on the population here without it being an act of war. 
because they can use smoke the COVID zero COVID as a smokescreen. So it's not just the Russia Ukraine war; it's the struggle between all these powers that are vying to have a fair shake um, in what the next you know Bretton Woods system is going to look like. And that's why I think it's not necessarily that it's going to be the death of the dollar and all this crap, but, or Bitcoin is going to replace fiat currency or anything like that. I just think it's going to be a decline of U.S. Hege hegemony. It's going to be a balkanization of reserve asset status. And in this world, Bitcoin is going to play a bigger and bigger role of a political post-trust reserve asset. And um, I don't know. I, I'm still super hopeful and like confident that in the next 10 years by 2030 like bitcoin's going to be a way more important role in, in the global uh settlement and as money for for the average person so i think a million dollar bitcoin is kind of like it's either going to a million dollars or it's a failed experiment by 2030 yeah i totally agree i by the way i agree with your point of view about reserve asset status versus reserve currency as well Although I think reserve asset status is probably like a temporary uh, stop on the way to full on reserve currency status, but temporary could mean 50 years. Like we don't know how long yeah. that could go on for. Right. And, you know, cause one of the things about being a reserve currency is there's a small cabal of people who have all the guns and write all of the laws. And those are the people who set what is a, the reserve currency or not. And none of us are in the club, but, you know, if the Bitcoin price increases dramatically, a million, two million, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, whatever, uh, suddenly there are going to be members of the club who are Bitcoiners and they're going to have a say in what their next reserve currency is. But there is definitely a stop on the way there in reserve asset town. And, you know, at some point we, we sort of act like a shadow peg between, you know, all of the digital central bank currencies that are that are coming. Right. And it's, it's going to be like a pretty chaotic sort of... Uh, <laughs> next hundred years well, 50 years next 50 years it's gonna be it's gonna be a long one you know <laughs> what did you say the other day in clubhouse <laughs> you were like you're gonna be working like at as an 80 year old or something talking to your grandkids like back in my day i used to i used to have a lot of digital money we used to value digital money and i yeah. and i made friends with men I'd be like, that I... had names like tina and p enough grandchildren i had all the friends some of my friends only had Two letters for names, P and Q. I knew them all. I knew Bitcoin Fish, Bitcoin Cucumber, Bitcoin Gandalf. I knew all the Bitcoin guys. You know, Mississippi Hoddle, Jamaican Hoddle, Norwegian Hoddle, Antarctic Hoddle. I knew them all. We were rich. It was great. You know. P, I want credit that I was not the one today who brought up price. It's true. Just I it's did true. not. I give you. I give you a lot of shit. It was me. It was me. I also so, want to throw other. Go for it. Well, but before I to, oh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. Go fuck yourself. Uh, before we <laughs> we jumped on, we were all on Clubhouse, and Hoddle made the amazing suggestion that we should change the name of this show to I think it was uh, two two guys one letter. Right. Uh. <laughs> Okay, I will admit that my fantasy football team name for years, I used to either draft Todd Gurley or Cooper Cup, and it was literally two girlies, one cup. It's good. It's solid. <laughs> so I, I love love a good pun on that. Um, I want to put on my tinfoil hat as I look around the office. I don't have a limit of foil anywhere, but Brad, I agree on such a deep level with what you were actually talking about. Um, so tinfoil hat, 
hopefully American Hoddle doesn't fully think that I'm an idiot after this, but Putin doesn't give a flying fuck about Ukraine. He can lose, he can cause absolute chaos. He doesn't care. He knows what he is causing is a squeeze on global wheat supply. At the same time, China has hoarded and has in storage, I believe, 18 months worth of wheat on their reserves. Prior to the invasion of Ukraine, the president of Iran sat down with Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, the three of them, behind closed doors. I was not a fly on that wall, although I wish I was, but I'd be willing to bet a whole Bitcoin that at bare minimum, the question was asked, how has Iran survived under sanctions for so long? Almost as though both of these leaders were prepared and ready to take their country through the ordeal of being under U.S. sanctions. I think this is a very, very coordinated attempt to usurp the U.S. global dominance and I personally think where it will end is, as we've seen historically, the best example of this was during the French Revolution when they limited the price of bread. You're going to see the U.S. government come out and think they're being really smart and say something like, we're going to limit the price of oil and we refuse to pay more than 200 or $250 for a barrel of oil. And you may be thinking like, we don't get to control that. Like they're just going to laugh at us and be like, no, but, but they will actually say yes. And they will accept $250, but you will no longer see the petrodollar. And now all of a sudden the price of oil will be tied to something else. And the U S dollar will fluctuate against whatever this new commodity, good money that is tied to the price of oil. And all of a sudden, while we may be paying $250, USD, that $250 isn't really going as far as you think. And I think that will ultimately be the downturn and the collapse of the dollar. But now I take my tinfoil hat off and how crazy do I sound? I, I don't think you're crazy about there being a you know, strong desire for monetary reset from Russia and China. I mean, I think that's that's obvious, right? And I don't think it's crazy to say that they're colluding in that effort. That's not crazy either. And I also you know, the specifics elude me. I don't know what is going to happen from here. I've never had less clarity when looking out at, uh, you know, the macro landscape, the geopolitical landscape, just no clarity. It just feels like we're in a environment where anything could happen. You know what I mean? So like the specifics of like, will they peg oil? I don't know. Maybe, you know, we'll see. Well, we saw for 10 years now, there's been, talk about China and Russia working together to settle oil in something other than dollars. And, uh, you know, th this is why even going back to the Iraq war, like this, this has always been about control of commodities and control of energy supply. And it, it's funny because there's a lot of people on the left, the progressives and like the folks on the left that have for two years just gone like totally batshit insane over Russiagate that thought that Trump was an actual agent of Putin and that, you know, that they had the videos of like hookers peeing on him in a hotel room. And that's why he was, you know, working for Putin like directly or whatever. Great video, <laughs> like they had great video. <laughs> great video. Yeah. 
So, by the way, as if as if Trump has any shame, if if there were if such a video existed, <laughs> yeah. it would be like it's me. I love it. Let it pee on my face. Let it rain down. I love it. <laughs> but like they 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 will they will totally just swallow that Kool Aid that like Russia controls everything, right? But at the same time, they buy the ESG narrative and they don't understand that that was actually the Russian propaganda. The the ESG, the anti nuclear. You know, you you see Russia just con Russia and China continually investing in their own energy production. And now Russia has this Russia is like not that important, honestly, like to, on a global stage, like economically, it's just it's very small part of the global economy. It's not a lot of people, but they have a massive stranglehold on Europe with their you know control over natural gas and oil and coal. Um, and, you know, like Germany and Europe and us in the West, we've shot ourselves in the foot here by shutting down nuclear power plants and trying to like rage against the exploration of our natural gas and and our oil, creating this like artificial scarcity, which is driving up the cost at the pump and giving all the cards to Putin. So it is I don't think it's so much about like they wanted to drive a shock of the supply of wheat or anything like that i think that's just a just something that's a byproduct of this this struggle this geopolitical struggle um but i do think that the energy is the big the big uh thing to pay attention to the fact that like this esg narrative has been shilled so hard by you know people who want to shut down all the nuclear power plants but at the same time they blame putin for everything well, what do they think is going to happen? I mean, Putin is exploiting <laughs> is exploiting all these people that are working for him in the West. I mean, like, how else could you look at it any other way? Like, they're basically working for Putin by driving people to shut down nuclear power and stop exploit exploring natural gas fields as, like, you know, you could have great clean energy, energy independence, and then... They just don't realize that, like, they get all their, like, they get a lot of their supply of oil and gas and coal from, from Putin. So it's just kind of like a, a very strange thing. I feel like if there was actually Russian propaganda, it was kind of like the old KGB style. What's that guy's name? Yuri Bezimov or whatever, where he, he, he defected from the KGB in the 90s and he came over and he talked about how, like, they will, they will, um, they will come in and, get in the in the policymaker groups and they will have a 30 year plan to demoralize and uh, and get their get their like unrest plan put in play. And you wouldn't see it now, but you'd see it in 30 years. It would and it, and it kind of looks like ESG. I mean, I went back and watched some of those videos of that guy talking about their game plan from back in the Soviet days. And it, it looks a lot like ESG and, you know, all the cancel culture that we have right now. So there is this lack of trust and you don't know if you can trust the news. You don't know if you can trust the politicians. You don't know if you can trust the companies. Their censorship is rampant everywhere. We're going against our own national interests and logic by destroying our energy independence while giving it, you know, all giving the opportunity to, for Russia to stay relevant. I mean, Russia would be completely irrelevant now if, if Canada and the United States really did just go ham on, <laughs> on our, on our resources. But we've got this massive 
pushback with the ESG folks and the folks on the left that that think it's going to end the, the world is going to blow up in 10 years like the world is ending because of <laughs> because of fossil fuels but yet they they're so scared of Putin they just it's so so difficult to to like be in this world where people don't you know they don't put those things together and it's not going to end anytime soon i don't think Hoddle just had to step out to take care of his child He'll be back in a moment. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Key, what do you think? You've been quiet for a while. I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm a, oh, sorry. I am surprised that Brad didn't actually agree with me on, you know, the idea that this is a little bit more premeditated. Um, but I w- let's, let's dive into the ESG stuff. I think the, the thing that made me laugh the most this weekend was seeing those clips from people who are uh, working with Biden in the Biden White House, however we want to frame it, going out and saying, hey, the oil and gas companies, they need to develop more stuff. Like we need to be able to better provide and drill oil and get more energy to our citizens. Oh, but in five years, we're also going to shut all of this down. Like (laughs) you guys are fucking stupid. These aren't solutions. Like they're not like, I'm sorry, they're not. You may think they are, but this is the perfect example of you're treating the symptom and not the cause of the issue. And the cause of the issue is our poor policy decisions over the last decade plus that have led us to this almost squeeze where we kept telling ourselves we're going to be green. We're going to care about the planet. Like, dude, I was... 20 fucking years ago, 20 fucking years ago, I still remember when my teachers were talking about like, oh, we have to recycle. Like, you know, if we don't do anything about global warming, this, that, or the other. 20 fucking years later, and here we are. Acid and, rain. Was, and we, we, were we still here. Washing acid rain. Where's the acid rain? I don't, where is it? Does it exist? I, honestly, acid, acid I've never I, seen acid rain. Like, have, have we ever had acid rain recorded in human history in okay. this in this millennia i mean i think there is a very precise definition of what that means i do remember seeing the documentary captain planet where it was like literally melting people's faces off um <laughs> so i'm pretty sure it did happen but uh Look, yeah i totally agree that was oh a huge thing captain planet was such esg propaganda I know, it's incredible I, I fucking love that show and it was like the power of air fire water heart yeah, and then the guy got totally fucked over and the little monkey ran across the screen and it was hard. Oh, God. But to to that point, it's... We talk about these problems, but we, ha- we didn't, in this 20-year time span, actually come up with viable solutions. Like, I'm so fucking sick of this. Go get an electric car. Oh, like, everyone's going to have an electric car and then we're good. Like, all you have done is taking the fossil fuel consumption that you directly see and put it under the proverbial fucking rug like you're sweeping in a cartoon. But guess what? In those cartoons where like the giant pile of dust goes under the rug and it it just disappears. Guess (laughs) what? When I tried to do that in college for the first time, it didn't work like that. And there was like this little lump on my rug. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with this like <laughs> cancerous lump that is our entire energy policy. It's such a weird, like specific image. But you this usually image. happened to you, Q, didn't it? It actually <laughs> did happen in college. <laughs> Look, 
a few beers in and any idea sounds good to me. And this is so why I don't drink anymore. Here's what I, like, Libya was one of the opening salvos in this test of the United States' resolve of how far they're going to go to defend U.S. dollar hegemony. Because I used to think, like, oh, well, I guess Gaddafi's a bad guy and they had to go in and take him out. But they didn't give a shit about what was going on to the people of Libya. They didn't. They didn't really care about that because if you look at Libya now, Libya has open slave trading. They 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 kind of they just took him and his family out, and it was like a signal, like don't mess around with U.S. hegemony. Because what he was trying to do was actually unite Africa to create this gold-backed African dinar thing, which was going to be a way for settlement of oil and resources in this African currency, and that was like. At the same time, China and Russia were announcing they wanted to explore using gold, a gold-backed currency for settling oil. And like the back 10 years ago, that was more of a, you know, the U.S. had more power to stop something like that from happening. U.S. and NATO, they just went in and took them out. Um, that kind of put the kibosh on Africa getting organized. Even, even uh, Nelson Mandela was supportive of Gaddafi's plan. Like I went back and looked at this and I, was, I thought it was like... Uh, I thought he was just some evil dictator that, that everybody hated. And I was like, well, Nelson Mandela actually supported him and was friends with him and liked him. Like, what was going on there? So you got to think it's like it's all it was all defense of the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency. And now we're entering into this new paradigm where they, they don't, it no longer works because the, the Russian sanctions were like the last salvo in this war for U.S. hegemony. And Brazil, Iran, Saudi Arabia uh china they're all not obeying these sanctions like all these countries india like massive countries with billions of people are totally turning a blind eye to these sanctions and they're like we don't care we're gonna buy energy <laughs> we need energy we need wheat we need fertilizer we're gonna buy this stuff from russia so it does feel like it's balkanizing and then the you know you gotta think like why would all these other countries accept the export of hegemonic inflation if the U.S. cannot provide the security guarantees that it used to before. So I don't think this ends in World War III or anything crazy like that. I just think like what happens when the Ponzi falls apart and there maybe is a point over the next 10 years where there is a no bid on the Treasury issuance. And like what's going to happen there when when the Federal Reserve has to buy $15 trillion worth of Treasuries on its balance sheet because there's other things that people want to buy. There's like, there's a, you know, other debt. And I mean, like a lot of people are, this is why I can't even say this stuff on clubhouse. Cause you get like Bitcoin, Tina and Joe, just like jump all over me for even going down these thought exercises. But I think we got to think about this stuff. I don't think it's all about the fed. I don't think it's all about the central banks. I don't think it's all about the Euro dollar markets. I think it's a, a major part of what's, going to happen over the next decade or two is the geopolitical struggle and the breakup of the U.S. dollar hegemonic status and the U.S. Treasury as the global reserve asset. And what's going to benefit from that? I think we're going to benefit from that as Bitcoiners. It's going to be a lot of civil unrest. It's going to be a lot of volatility and prices. Um, we may see higher inflation. I mean, Anything is possible, like Hoddle said. Like we're in these unprecedented times here, where we could have stagflation for ten years, we could have hyperinflation, we could have just continued high inflation, or maybe they figure it out and 
some magical way they <laughs> they start going back to sound money policies and there's a little bit of pain and the things go back to normal but i don't see a world where bitcoin doesn't benefit from this i mean i think it's going to be here in Canada, the housing market needs to come down by like 50% for it to make any sense. I don't know what it's like for you guys where you live, but in my area, over the last 10 years, my house, I bought it for $270,000 and I, I built it in 2010. And it's worth like almost a million dollars now. It it doesn't make any sense. Like I didn't, there's nothing extra in my house. I mean, I built a sauna and built a pool, so maybe I got myself an extra twenty or thirty thousand dollars of value there. It should be worth like five hundred max. But the housing market, when the housing market starts to come down and and come down hard, I think that's when everybody else is going to feel it because then you'll have rising inflation and you'll have the wealth effect come off. So people won't feel as wealthy as they as they did. But like most people don't own homes so in a way it's good like it in a way it, it has to come down because well you yeah pal said that as, at his presser that they're targeting that like that you know he said i think his specific verbiage was like uh if you're a millennial aged home buyer you need some help here which is fed speak for uh we're about to skull fuck the real estate market you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly right that is exactly what it is code for exactly so it's like that's that's what's gonna happen and yeah like they're trying to create demand destruction and they're doing a really good fucking job of it eventually they have to reverse course and when they reverse course we're going to see another round of monetary stimulus so like all this geopolitical shit like what's going on with you know russia and china and the ukraine and you know american uh, hegemony all of this like it's all something that we should try and be aware of and do our best to figure out what's going on but like it's too complicated. Um, no one knows what's going on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's too many power players jockeying for position. And so what I default back to is like, I'm just going to focus on hodling through, you know, all of this bullshit. Right. It's like a Shaun of the dead when he's like, let's just, you know, go back to the fucking Winchester and have a pint, wait for all this to blow over. <laughs> like that's where I'm at in my Bitcoin journey right now, you know? Hoddle, what do you think the chances are of, because we all didn't think that it would even get to this point, right? Like last year, we were all saying like, if they, if they raise the interest rates, it's going to decimate the stock market and like, it's going to crash everything. So they won't do we, that. They have to keep rates low. They have to keep I, printing. Yeah. So I think, so do I you think, think like, they, do you think they will continue yeah, yeah, yeah. crashing markets and like I, actually I drive us into a great depression or something? Something that we didn't appreciate as Bitcoiners is that, uh, you know, essentially that, Wealth, real wealth is in the cash flows. And if you own the assets and you have the cash flows, like you're still doing just fine. And all they're creating destruction on is the market capitalization of your assets, which is a short term problem. And long term, they're going to reverse course on it and you're going to continue to appreciate upwards. But like if you're in a position where you have an asset that has tremendous cash flows, like a piece of like prime real estate or something like you don't care about this. You're sitting pretty, right? But Bitcoiners, we don't have that. Like, we're, we're pur purely speculative. Like, as uh, Paul Tudor Jones said, we're the fastest horse in the race, right? So that means, that, like, when there are bouts of stimulus, which we expect increasing bouts of stimulus, we are going to be outperforming everybody. We're going up faster than everybody. Fastest horse. But when there's no stimulus or when there's demand destruction, we're fastest down. We're fastest horse in both directions. And so that's where the increasing volatility comes from and, like, you have to be able to, you know, make it through, have a plan, deal with that. You can't expect increasing Bitcoin prices forever. You you should expect them going up and to the right over time. 
But in any five-year period, I think you should brace yourself for extreme volatility because you don't have cash flows to make it through this like, you know, the real estate guys do or the equity guys do. Like, there's no dividends on your Bitcoin, you know? I, I do think, though, Hoddle, that there is a good chance that correlation is transitory. And the longer we stay in this environment where... In terms of Bitcoin to NASDAQ or what's yeah. correlation? Yeah. Like, okay. the correlation of money printer go burr drives asset bubble inflations or drives asset bubble inflation. Yes, Bitcoin is correlated in that environment. But the longer they try to um, get back to almost like sane policies, the more Bitcoin's utility and, and actual benefits are kind of like disseminated out into the market, the, the less likely things like DeFi coins and NFTs are going to be like distracting people and causing people to go pay attention to all that crap. And people will start paying more attention to Bitcoin as an asset class separate from everything else, decentralized, digital scarcity, um, you know, digital gold, um, censorship resistant, store of value, all those things that make Bitcoin unique from every other asset, including crypto. So if we continue in this environment where you're almost going back to like a value investor way to way to look at things the way like warren buffett and those guys look at valuing companies i think it actually makes a lot of sense like that's a normal free market capitalist system where it's not so much about the speculative premium like oh this is this is really hyped and hot right now pot stocks are going to go up so i'm going to just deploy into pot stocks crypto is really hot right now i'm going to deploy into crypto whatever that's all narrative like fomo driven because of the low interest rates and and massive stimulus. But as we continue to go like into this paradigm of them trying to deflate the, the, the bubbles, then I do think Bitcoin can catch more and more adoption by wealthy people that understand what it is. And then it can go up um, without stimulus. I do think it can go up without stimulus. I think that that's what I mean by inflation uh, correlation is transitory because the longer we're in this environment, I think it'll go back to the system where like people are buying Bitcoin because they understand digital gold thesis rather than like <laughs> it's the fastest horse in the race. But maybe I I'm think, just naive. I, I think, though, that that assumes a couple of things. And I think the one thing that it, it assumes is that people are drawn into the DeFi, like broader crypto space for reasons beyond price movement and the truth is bitcoin has no marketing team whereas andreessen horowitz will buy whatever invest in the latest shitcoin and then they'll pump it up through an actual marketing effort with like catchy slogans and taglines and think and make people think like oh web3 or blockchain so therefore it's good it's going to be a sound investment um I will get to my question in a moment, but I think you could actually explain a lot of the assets inflating up. Like your home country of canopy growth was a perfect example of continuing to promise what our future is going to look like so long as we're limited in the present regulation, but we can forecast out what it looks like. So it makes our earnings reports look really good. But when you ever calculate the future value of money, you have to use interest rates in the present. And here's a little quick tip. When interest rates are low, the future value of money 
looks really fucking good. You can take that money from the future, absorb it now, and it's going to cost you a lot less than if interest rates are higher. That's why you have tech stocks. That's why you had all of these really growth-oriented stocks that's entire movement is rooted around what does their or earnings forecast look like. I can live with negative earnings because if their future earnings are growing, that's good, but they're growing artificially because rates are being suppressed at a 0% rate. So I think that's what's caused the asset bubble and we're just seeing it unwinded. As rates continue to increase, every single time, like this past earnings season's great example of everyone missed, all of their forecasts were off, and now you're starting to see everything contract as a result. It's only going to get worse as rates continue to expand. My question for the two of you is, and it goes back to something that we talked about where I do think there is a scenario where Bitcoin could possibly fail, and that is actually if Powell and the Fed has the balls to just crater the economy. And I'm curious what either anyone here... Wait, 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 Like, let me, let me explain what I think by crater the economy. Like, I'm genuinely saying Powell may very foolishly take the total Fed's, Fed fund rate to double digits. And we may actually see like an insane interest rate level that the U.S. can't afford, mind you, but they may do it for the sake of the economy. And in turn, that could actually end up like we could have to sit on Bitcoin for much longer than I think people think in that type of a scenario. What is the likelihood anyone here thinks that that's actually a scenario that Powell has the stomach or balls to follow through on? Zero. Zero percent likelihood. Absolutely zero. The Fed, the Fed put is still there. It's just lower because they're trying to destroy CPI. So, yeah, there's no possible scenario in which Powell is going to throw the world into global depression. Now, they might do it accidentally. That could happen, but I doubt they're going to do it intentionally. You know, I, I kind of, I don't, I don't think that it's impossible that they do that. I, I, I think they were. There's not much they can do. I mean, it doesn't make sense that we just go up forever in the stock market and housing prices. And because of this global shift in like vying for the next like paradigm of global reserve currency and asset, I mean, there's less and less effect that the Federal Reserve can have on global markets in that world where it's balkanized. And, um, I do think there is a chance that we go into like a 1920s, 30s style depression. But in that world, like it's not going to destroy Bitcoin. I think it's going to I think it's going to like make it a little bit more difficult for it to go up. But it's going to keep going up because there's still only like two to three percent or maybe five percent of the world that has exposure to Bitcoin and even knows what the hell it is. And in a world like that, where. You know, the, the we're in a real like great depression 2.0 but like you know this time with netflix people are still gonna have the internet we're still gonna have modern technology i mean it's not gonna be like world war three nuclear bombs dropping on everybody it's just gonna be like a depressed long time depressed economic um situation with lots of jobless people and maybe that maybe that like does delay bitcoin's like million dollar price target by five ten years but I don't think it kills Bitcoin, even if we do get into like Great Depression 2.0. I think it just 
makes it so that we have to work harder to educate more and more people about why this like is a lifeboat to get back onto uh, a different system that you can protect yourself from because they are going to try to like whether it's going to cause a populist uprising if they do try to do that there's going to be a populist left uprising or a populist right uprising depending on how bad they screw it up and if they drive us into a depression it's going to be a populist uprising if they drive us into hyperinflation there's going to be a populist uprising so like there will be some it'll be civil unrest of some sort if they screw it up so it, they could screw it up for sure one way or the other i mean like if you get the modern monetary theory like bernie sanders aocs of the world in there to try to do like ubi and like tax the rich and like you know monetize or weaponize the money printer for the for the people that's probably going to lead us into hyperinflation if you have a populist uprising where they seize control of the money printer and they try to use it for good you know they use it for good and they end up like causing hyperinflation well that sucks too <laughs> so either way it i think some i think there is a real chance that we could have these outlier things that everybody says is hyperbolic that like oh you know bitcoiners say hyperinflation could happen they're morons i mean look there's not a there's a non-zero chance that we could have hyperinflation there's a non-zero chance we could go into a great depression 2.0 and i do think that like bitcoin will will do well in not like you know short term but long term it's just more and more people will understand what bitcoin is and like look at gold gold's been you know it was suppressed for a little while but you know ever since they banned gold you know it went up what 50x or something since the day they banned gold just took a long time <laughs> so yeah it might might increase your length of time to hodl but you can't stop bitcoin it's just a matter of like how educated people are and the only thing about it is like if we're in this world in this world where you're you're thinking about where your next meal is going to come from i mean it's it, if it gets that bad then yeah people aren't going to be so much thinking about extra spending extra money on entertainment and uh and digital money so yeah it might might delay adoption by a while but unless the internet goes out i don't understand how bitcoin couldn't succeed yeah all right on that though we have so many bigger problems than accessing your Bitcoin if the internet or like all of the power grids were to go out. Exactly. Yeah. Like so many more problems to deal with than, oh, I can't get my Bitcoin stack. Like you're not going to go to an ATM, you fucking idiot. But like, I do think we could have like a Great Depression 2.0 with, with the internet and with modern technology where people are just like economically depressed and out of work and, you know, shit sucks for a while. But we still have technology in the internet and, Bitcoin is still going to exist in that world and it's still going to do well over time as you get more and more people to understand what Bitcoin is and why you should save in it, then it'll come out of that much stronger because maybe you'll go from 5% of the world to like 25% of the world saving in Bitcoin and holding it for their heirs. It's just going to delay like the eventual hyper Bitcoinization. Yeah, I, I agree. There is no world. There's nothing that Powell can do to like end Bitcoin. That's not even on the table. It's just a question of the larger economic environment and potentially extending the timelines that we are all talking about. Here. Right, but P, when you run out of insect milk and all the cat food you have stored, I've got so and much. Like my dad, my dad, my dad's argument on this. Wait, but what does what does that even have to do though with like you know the potential for Powell to to no, wrap it's his, not, his hands around not, the neck of Bitcoin. Not about a, it's not like a premeditated, oh, we're going to destroy Bitcoin by do, doing this. It's, I think this is the best course of action to fix the American economy. Yeah, and in turn, what inevitably happens is 
as Brad's kind of alluding to, just be entertaining. <laughs> this is an entertainment show for entertainment sorry, my purposes. Face is too expressive. There's no financial advice in any of this. Um, we didn't say that enough. So today, don't Pete. buy insect milk. Is that what no, you're saying? No, 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 no. Stock up. Stock up. Do buy insect milk. All in insect milk. No regrets. Hoddle, Hoddle, what are you gonna do during Great Depression 2.0? What's your, what's your, what's your, what's your uh, plan? So, first of all, I, I don't. I don't know that we're going into Great Depression 2.0, but Thank if you. it's for if it's for entertainment purposes, uh, listen, I think. Fuck, I'm not going to talk about Great Depression 2.0, but a great way to make it through the bear market to keep your sanity in check is to work on, like, you know, projects that make you better as a as an individual. So, like, you know, if you're feeling fearful, like, right now because the Bitcoin price is low, that's because your education, your conviction is dog shit and you need to work on getting that up, right? Or your conviction, your allocation don't match, in which case maybe you should just sell your Bitcoin if you're not cut out for this life, right? Uh, or I don't know, you know, Thank you. work out, meditate, read, go for walks, do shit like adjust you know, your cash right? flow, get a Pick second job. Skill. Yeah, exactly. Like live on ramen noodles, like you know what I mean? Like insect milk. Yeah. Like there's so, the, so like on year twelve. You, you, you are the Brad biggest source of fun in this conversation so far. What what is happening? Dude, I've I've gotta throw a wrench in the conversation, otherwise we're just an echo chamber, guys. So, anyways, on year twelve of Powell's Great Depression 2.0. Oh my god. We've run out of insect milk in all of the grocery stores. They've even run out of like the pea See, protein beyond meat. Just hear me out on this, pea. Like like say it gets so bad that you are genuinely like 12, 13, 15 years in and like we're not making enough food. All of a sudden like I don't give a fuck if I have 100 bitcoin. If I don't have food in my stomach like yeah, I'll pay like a whole bitcoin or like you'll Looks see like, the price, the price of the Bitcoin day, uh, Bitcoin pizza day, like that will be a steal in year thirty of Powell's Great Depression two point. What, what are we even talking about here? There's, there's a couple of things you said that I completely disagree with. One, you can't run out of insect milk, so this is obviously a <laughs> just impossible scenario. Obviously, you have, everybody's, everybody's going to have their own insect milking farms, and it's going to be enough to just sustain the world. But separate from that, uh, I mean, what, what, yeah, what are we even talking about here? The, this is stoicism. Uh, We're practicing stoicism right now. To, to be honest, it's I'm like the... a it's like a retarded form. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like if you like hit yourself in the head with like a, a brick a few times, and then you're like, well, yes. "What if?" I, all I know is I left P of all people speechless for like a long pregnant pause, which is kind of impressive. It is. It is. Um, all right. Well, let's get back on track. It does uh, seem like the most likely scenario is that they just create enough pain to to get markets back into destroying the wealth effect for the people that benefited the most which causes the wealth gap to get wider when they when they do these low interest lots of stimulus um interferences in the free market it does make things worse for the bottom 50 percent so they're trying to stop that like hoddle said they're trying to do demand destruction which is a deflationary force so there are lots, like Hoddle's right, yeah. there's lots of destroying, deflationary forces. Pe destroying people's wealth is deflationary. There's lots of deflationary forces in the, in, the, in the mix right now, but I don't think they want to go to the Great Depression either. I don't think they want to do that. They could screw it up and do that, but most likely central banks all over the world will come together and, you know, create some new momentum to get us back into bull market mode i was reading reminiscences of a stock operator again recently i like to read that at least Love once a year book. Good and book. i went 
I went through the, the, the part where he's trading through the 1907 crash. And so there's this 1907 crash, everything froze up and JP Morgan was out there giving loans to people directly, like, you know, personally guaranteeing the trust funds in the banks and giving them lots of money to get things back on track. And so even during the depths of that greatest crash, there was like a bull market that developed because liquidity came into the system and then the human spirit came back to life of uh, entrepreneurship and capitalism. So even during that moment, and then he also talked about during World War One when it was like globally, there was like so many negative things happening all over the world. Everybody was scared and the stock market was crashing. But then like all of a sudden there was this announcement by, you know, whoever was in charge at the time that, they were going to do price controls and stuff like that. And uh, all this gold started flooding into the United States. And it was like this massive bull market came out of nowhere. So he's, he talks about how even in these global depressions and uh, world wars and things like that, there can be conditions that arise that create, you know, opportunity for people that are in the right, the right things to make money. So I, I think like it's totally possible over the next six months that, even though there's all this shit storm happening all over the world with like food shortages and supply chain disruptions and, you know, central banks <laughs> uh, control demolitions going on that something bullish can happen. And, you know, we could get back to hundred K by the end of 22, 2022. It's also not off the table. I honestly think there's just as much of a likelihood that we're at hundred K at the end of this year as you know, there could be that they screw up and send us into a great depression. Actually, it's greater that we go to 100K. I, I don't think the chances of a real Great Depression are, are that high. By the way, I um, like I said, nothing's off the table. Like nothing would surprise me. Like I agree with Brad also that like that 1907 thing is becoming a meme in Bitcoin. I saw I saw Turdemister say it, and I saw Lynn Alden say it. You know, so it's like the high level think think boys and think girls are out. <laughs> so, Wait, sorry, what is the specific meme? Uh, in 1907, there was a very specific market panic that basically, like, uh, you know, collapsed the markets. Yeah, yeah, of course. And within like 12 months, they had completely recovered. Okay, right? got it. That's the okay. yeah, that's the meme. Um, it was back when there was no central bank to bail out and provide liquidity, and all these trusts and stuff were it was, just it, totally wrecked. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's part of the story of the creation of the Federal Reserve. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. Got it. Um. So you know, anyway, like I I think basically like. Could Bitcoin shoot right back up to 50? Yeah. Could Bitcoin go down to eight? Yeah. Like fucking everything's on the table. Like fucking act accordingly. You know what I mean? Like he's got eight dollars a Bitcoin. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> eight dollars. <laughs> yeah. I'm, the the only like... appropriate strategy is to hodl with no or low leverage. Like that's it. That's the only strategy that's gonna work. You know yeah, what I mean? Hashtag, wait, wait, wait. hashtag not financial advice. Absolutely, financial advice. You At eight dollars a Bitcoin, Alan. that's a, that, that's a hundred and forty million market cap. Wait, it's, not say... it's not great. It's not great. At <laughs> that point, say... all we can do is put on a brave face, you know. Yeah. Again, though, I think minor details. The, Michael the... Saylor would own all the bitcoins at that market cap. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. No, much. he would have been margin called so many times at that point. <clears throat> He would, have he would have lost his whole stack. I do think point. it's I, I do think it's like nearly impossible though to go below like 
Don't say things 3, like this. 3,000. Yeah, the, the market is listening, and now is going to attack this price point. Bro. Also, like, I mean, look, look, look. We've been spending, I think this is, we've been talking about macro, but now we're, like, fixated on price. And I think that, like, there isn't a fucking world in which the United States could kill Bitcoin. That's not a, I mean, whatever. It's like a, it'd be a, it's just not going to happen. We're talking about these significant economic events. We're in this, this extremely uh, unusual sort of economic epoch right now. And yeah, anything is possible. But I think that the fundamental aspects of Bitcoin, the things that are so important in terms of its censorship resistance, it's, uh, it's you know, the fact that it disintermediates these, the, this aspect of uh, finance, which previously just wasn't even uh, a twinkle in the eye of the vast majority of people. Those fundamental qualities don't go anywhere. And it still represents this incredible, unique lifeboat through these tumultuous economic times. And that's the thing that is the most interesting to me personally. Um, I do have, there's two things that just occurred to me. Brad, we spend so much time, uh, you know, yelling. I, I didn't even give you an actual introduction. So I want to give you the opportunity to explain to the people that are listening who you are and why you bathe in maple syrup each day and how that affects your position size and... Also, then I have a second question after you do that. Yeah, so I got into Bitcoin um, around 2014. I was doing uh, filmmaking, and I decided I was going to sell my car and ride a scooter around for a while and just stack on uh, every bit of Bitcoin I could get. I, I told my wife not to have any guacamole and to buy Bitcoin instead, and I did that for like three years, and then I came up with the 6.15 Bitcoin meme. <laughs> Well, are we about to have that a fight just... over who created the 6.15 Bitcoin meme? <laughs> I mean, never, I think both, I think both parties here have claimed. It's a unique origin story. You sound like such a brave spirit. I'm happy to know you. You're, wow, uh, you're so inspiring. I go you're by amazing. Canadian HODL. <laughs> um, uh, no, but... my, my, that was HODL's story somewhat. I kind of probably butchered it a little bit. But... Yeah, it was so bad at the beginning. I was like, wait, are we talking? I didn't realize you guys had a similar, a similar origin story. <laughs> That's why I was so confused. I was like, wait a minute. Uh, no, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, I used to do like Facebook games and, and, uh, and I was in film as well, but like I was more of an indie film guy, like trying to make cheesy horror movies and stuff like that. And, um, my, my, my initial sort of like exposure to Bitcoin was in 2011 when I was, I had some extra money from my uh, Facebook game that was that was like in the digital currency space. So it was like fake money, like just on a database. It was just like a uh, social game money. And I, I was like, oh, well, I got to I got to like figure out what to do because these people are valuing my digital money and I want to protect it. So what do, I, do I invest in the stock market or like, you know, that seems kind of like a Ponzi scam to me. I don't really care that much about stocks. So I started looking into like reading books about money and how to manage money and how to invest and things like that. And that brought me to gold. Uh, I think it was, uh, I had watched like some Peter Schiff stuff uh, for around Occupy Wall Street. I was into Ron Paul with like libertarianism and Austrian economics and talking about gold as money. I uh, rich dad, poor dad, the books like that, that was talking about like real estate and gold. And so there was this dude that I was importing some gold to Canada, some gold and silver. I'm like, I'm going to take, a third of my savings here. I'm going to put it in gold, silver, or a half. I was going to put it in gold and silver. 
And this guy was doing these videos on how to import gold and silver to Canada without paying tax on it. Cause I didn't have a lot of money back then extra. I was putting it all into the business and just built my house. So I'm like, I, I got to save on my taxes. I don't want to pay 8% HST tax on, on buying these silver and gold ingots. And anyways, he was also talking about Bitcoin. He's like, and there's this digital gold. It's called Bitcoin. And it's so it's so great that I'm going to guarantee that if you buy this Bitcoin, that if it ever goes below a dollar, I'll just refund you the Bitcoin, the money that you spend on Bitcoin. And I'm like, what? He's going to refund me the money. <laughs> I got to look into this. So I started looking into Bitcoin and it was at five bucks. And so I decided I was going to put a third into gold, a third into silver and a third into Bitcoin. And that was that's how I originally found out about Bitcoin through this dude on YouTube that was giving price guarantees <laughs> that it would never go below a dollar. Jesus Christ. How did you survive your childhood? <laughs> I ended up by the time I got into it, though, it was 10. And it was during that summer of 2011 when I I heard about it at five. It was 10. I got the I got Bitcoin. It went up to 30. I sold half my Bitcoin at 30 thinking I'm such a genius. I just doubled my money. I'm like, oh, I'm too late. Like it already went up so much. I missed it. It was a dollar a year ago. I, I'm too late. So anyways, that's why I give the advice to people nowadays is like, don't trade it because you're going to screw it up. Like if I had just bought Bitcoin and just held it for 10 years and not tried to do anything else, I would have been like way better off than all this stuff I was trying to do and trying to catch up to my original amount that I got into Bitcoin. So most people are never going to be able to like beat the market. It's you either get lucky by getting a Shiba Inu and getting out at the right time or you end up getting wrecked. Thank you for giving yeah. us the go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was going to say like uh, something uh, me and Brad talk about often is uh, activity bias. And I think, you know, activity bias is a default, uh, you know, for for human beings, for mammals. And like uh, it's always better to do something than than nothing, like in an evolutionary sense. And so. We all have this very strong desire to like, oh, no, I need to do something. Bitcoin's crashing. I, uh, you know, I mean, listen, people can go on Twitter and put on brave face. But I know a lot of you pussies sold your Bitcoin yesterday. You know what I mean? Like, I know it. <laughs> I know it. I know you did. You know what I mean? You can admit it. Don't. Don't do it. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> I bought it. Don't um, I bought your shit. Bitcoin, paper hand, little bitch. <laughs> but no, I mean, I mean you know, it's like trying to overcome your activity bias is is one of the keys i have this quote from reminiscences of a stock operator on my wall that's just basically like listen like the most money i ever made was from sitting on my fucking ass doing nothing you know and that's always going to be true and so like if the price is really 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 high you probably don't want to do anything if it's really 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 low you probably don't want to do anything if it's in the middle you probably don't you just don't do anything just sit still it's very hard to do it's good so advice you know, sometimes you get this piece of advice thrown out there. I think Preston Pierce says it the best where it's buy Bitcoin and then don't think about it. Don't touch it for five years. But for some reason, I kept seeing the number four years get thrown out. And I just want to point out that technically speaking, there was a moment over the weekend where you could have bought Bitcoin four years ago and you were actually underwater. Um, so that narrative is dead. I do think the five year narrative is is next on the table. So I'm just saying, is there? I don't think it's so dead arbitrary. though. I'm still gonna lie. I'm still gonna use it. People I mean, li li listen, 
here's the thing is like uh i'm still gonna say you're not fine, gonna fine. Lose money. say it but say it with like an asterisk of but at the four and a half year mark there's potential because one time Look, you were in here arguing that this that the stock to flow model is not dead it's valid oh my god plan b come on the show let's i need your help to better articulate what you're trying you're to just do yourself deeper my friend just deeper and deeper wait i have one more question wait well, Hoddle, Hoddle i was gonna say question. something what was, I forgot what I was going to say. You were going to talk about like the new narratives people are going to come up with. Oh, I, think. I love oh, this. Oh, I already, I already heard it. I heard it from Corey Clipson the other day, which was, uh, you know, you're not, you're not really a mature asset class until you've gone below the prior cycle high, and and then you, you're really a mature asset class, and that's a sign that you've arrived. You know, so that's the new narrative that you <laughs> could look, look in the mirror and Dude, repeat it until you can cope that's with funny. it. People will come up with no matter what narrative as long New as there's a narrative but yeah, look we still have the rainbow chart the rainbow chart <laughs> know, remember the rainbow chart that. the rainbow chart from like 2013 that I, was like uh, this I, uh, prediction eric, eric shout out eric wall i know i listen the rainbow chart is satire please god don't turn it into the next stock to flow please please god, <laughs> it's too late the stock People to flow ratio was based on the rainbow chart wait well, can we just the rainbow chart is satire eric who popularized it would admit it's satire Stop. Stop using it. Stop. It was invented by a guy named Trollololol. <laughs> Shut up. Stop. Yes. Someone sent me that two weeks ago. Someone sent me the rainbow chart last Monday during the price dip, like down to this like 20K level. And they were like, is it like, this is the moment, right? Like I should buy. And I, I didn't. We really were like, yes, it. this chart is solid gold. I didn't the say only anything about better the than this. Apparently the... there's, there's TikTok influencers out there pumping the rainbow chart so i don't listen i, don't, I wouldn't throw yourself behind the rainbow. no not rainbow. this one chris not this tweet this is this so is plan b's throw... most recent tweet though this is from yesterday to why are we stock to flow why... chris is just trying to get me fired at this point i think chris is out to get me Q, you, you you know you're your own worst enemy i can't believe you are like the one bitcoiner who is like this doctor no, no, no. this doctor plan flow b model. too Plan B also, so it's two of us. Me and Plan B are Jesus on this Christ. ship. All right, today. I have one more question, Brad, and then uh, we're. I do uh, have one more question, so P, you can ask, and then I will ask. All right, all right. Uh, I asked Hoddle this earlier. I think it's an important thing to throw out there, just to get on the record. This is a recorded conversation. Uh, Mary, fuck, kill, Yellen, Lagarde, uh, Powell, or Carson. Who? The fat guy. Doctor Eggman. Oh, Augustus. the really fat the BIS one. chief. Yes. Yeah. Um, He's like yay big. He has the hardest working. I think that's a very conservative surface area hodl. I would yay say big. in in what order? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You just got to say. I mean, Mary Fat Kill is the. the... Yeah. <sighs> I guess that Carson guy for all three. Really, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is a that's the right answer. Carson, you, uh, like that would be an, an interesting life experience. Yeah, an interesting what's the order life of operations on that? Yeah, in reverse order. <laughs> Carson in reverse order. <laughs> oh. Oh, Good God! Right. Yes, right, do, yes. Do we have the? Do, we do have not the visualize. Do we? Do we have the bandwidth to go and have actually a, a, a more legit philosophical question answered? Yeah, sure. And this can be our final question. And Hoddle, you can get back to daddy duties, and Brad, you can get back to doing all the wonderful things that you do while P and I just dick around on Twitter after this. Um, with you 80 20 principle 
I would say it's a good gauge of, you know, 20% of the population knows how something operates or works. And then the rest of the population, the 80% just sort of uses it because they have to, whether it's turning on the lights or turning on your car or just the internet itself. Um, and we in Bitcoin are very, very obsessed has a negative connotation, but we are obsessed with really understanding money and Bitcoin on a deeper level than the average person. But do we think when Bitcoin does enter that hyper Bitcoinized world and is used on a global scale that everyone is going to understand Bitcoin as deeply as those of us who are in it now do? Or is it going to be more synonymous with things like the light bulb that just people accept, oh, this works? Yeah, it'll it'll be more synonymous with the latter. And in fact, like 80-20 is fucking pushing it. I mean, mm -hmm. there's only 3% of the American population that's financially independent, right? So like, that means only 3% of people even have an inkling of how, you know, money and finance works. And I live in a nice neighborhood. It's full of doctors and lawyers and executives. I can tell you not a single one of these fucking idiots that lives around me knows anything other than how to do their job. They know how to be a doctor. They don't have to be a lawyer. They don't know how the fucking economy works. They have no idea, right? And so, like, I think the actual number of people who understand, like, money at a deep structural level is 0.000001% of the population and probably always will be. Because when money is working, there's no reason to think about it. It's just a culturally enforced dogma. It's just the water that you swim in every day and you're a fish and you don't realize, right? And it's also, like, money is sort of a language um, that you think in. Right. So it's like, you know, you learn English when you're when you're young and maybe you learn a second language if you grow up bilingual and then you learn money because money is like language is a tool that like toddlers use to unlock things in their environment. Like if I cry, mommy will give me that thing. But if I say, you know, a donut, then I get a donut. Right. Uh, it's much more direct than actually just crying and having somebody guess your your needs and wants. And so money is another unlock that we learn when we're young, which is like. Uh, if I go to the Target and I see a bunch of toys or whatever, like I, I know that that toy costs this amount of money and I need that much money to unlock that toy. Learn that very young. And so I think like Bitcoin will be just a new monetary language that the planet learns. And, uh, you know, people are starting, starting to upgrade to that language now. And like, you know, I certainly have upgraded to that. I think most of us have or a lot of us have in, in Bitcoin space. And it's a new way of you know thinking. So most people won't have enough metacognition to question the way they're thinking. It'll just be the culturally enforced dogma that surrounds their lives. I think that like companies like Cash App are doing the great work for what you're talking about, Hoddle. Like they're they're Bitcoin has the Lindy effect, and like Bitcoin's got the brand, you know, for for this new type of money, and Cash App has the distribution. And so it's really awesome to see Cash App going Bitcoin only and like square merchants and stuff are going to be probably soon turned on with Bitcoin, be able to accept Bitcoin. So, of course, there's a lot of confusion in this language because there's all kinds of other languages out there like Dogecoin, which can attract a lot of those uh, left curvers that are like, I guess money could be the currency of Mars because Elon likes it. And you get a lot of people that are are falling for that crap but uh you know thankfully markets punish bad ideas so like <laughs> sucks for all the people that lost their money thinking that they should learn the language of celsius or the language of luna 
and they got completely wrecked following people like Raul Paul and Mike Novogratz off the risk cliff, like, uh, like lemmings. I believe it's pronounced RuPaul, but continue. RuPaul. But we thank God we got like Bitcoin Magazine, Cash App, these companies that have distribution. But like Cash App specifically with the cultural stuff they're doing with with all the, um, you know, the title and stuff like that. It's a great it's a great thing that we've got people that are not just out there trying to make money, but trying to do it for principled reasons and, you know, recognize that Bitcoin is different from all this other stuff. And I do think that as times get tougher here in the West, we will have less and less monetary privilege and less and less people will be able to, you know, care about NFTs and cryptocurrency speculation and stuff like that. Because if you compare the Google search results in the, in the West for all these hyper like trendy investment uh, schemes like GameStop and NFTs and crypto and Dogecoin with Bitcoin, right? Like you go on Google search trends, you look at the West and then you go and you look at the place like Lebanon or Nigeria, where there's like Nigeria specifically, where there's like 200 million people that live under these, uh, oppressive conditions with their currency they don't have monetary privilege to be like go off and learn this exotic language of nfts they need bitcoin they they need to learn english you know what i mean like bitcoin is like the dominant language of money for people who need to protect themselves from from the you know the current failure of the of the status quo system that they live under so i think that just that is to say that in our in our like last decade of living here trying to talk about Bitcoin, a lot of people don't care that much to look deeply about into it because money just has worked. But as this shit is hitting the fan and money is like stopping to work the way that it was expected to work, you will get people that will probably dig more into it. Like I've got regular people talking to me these days, like normies are being like, yeah, the, the prices are going up too high. There's something wrong. I feel like something's wrong or I don't understand how housing prices can keep going up. It feels like there's something wrong. And then, you know, they're, they're looking into like, what is the effect of printing too much money on prices and asset prices? So even in, in a normal, in the normal uh, like status quo environment we've lived in under the last 20 years or so in the West. Yeah. You have this 80, 20 thing. It's probably like Hoddle said, it's more like, like 0.1% to the 99.9% who actually care about like what is money and why should they should care about it. But as this, the prices keep rising and it's getting less and less, you know, privilege for, for us over here, then I do think that's going to get more towards 80, 20. And hopefully we just all figure, you know, we do our, we do our job as educators and present people with the, the, the facts about why Bitcoin is different from everything else. And then hopefully you get those 20% go into Bitcoin rather than trying to like, fall for these degenerate urges to go like 10x on an nft or dogecoin or something like that well said it all just goes back to you know taking the time to answer the question of what is money i think that's that's the root of i think all of our journeys although we didn't get my dramatic reading from the print issue Oh no. Oh wait, let me ask Hoddle something real quick about that what I just said. Like Hoddle because right. you usually have good takes on this stuff. Like I sometimes worry too much about these things. So what what do you think about what I just said about like 
as we lose monetary privilege, more and more people will go to Bitcoin. And should we be worried about yeah. people going to off on the risk cliff continuing like <laughs> so off the shit going I, th stuff. I think if you read uh when money dies by adam ferguson uh, you know it talks about the the weimar republic and what happened there that gave rise to hitler um which is a very important book for any bitcoiner if, if you haven't read it you should read it like there's a lot in that book about you know the way people in the weimar republic behaved um and you know rampant speculation was like a common part of daily life and so you know, when the money dies, you do see people pile into riskier and riskier assets, you know, the hot, the new hot thing, uh, which is, you know, it's and it was NFTs this last cycle, there will be another uh, shitcoin pump, I'm almost sure of it, I'm done prophesying its death, I was, I think Bitcoiners were pretty much right about everything, except we were wrong about, you know, alt season, and that was a big blind spot for us. Um, because we were willfully ignorant, we wanted it not to be true. And we were sort of blind to it. it. It happened and, you know, it was obvious that it was happening. And we just, you know, hate shitcoin. So we wanted to go away. Right. So I think like there's going to be even greater speculation the next time around. And like, no, I don't agree with your thesis that people have learned their lesson. I don't think people ever learn their lesson. I think they're going to speculate even harder next time on something that's even stupider than a picture of a fucking monkey. And it's I know it's hard to believe that. Like, How could you get me. even dumber than that? Believe bag me, of like, human feces. you'll never go Let's broke go. betting on the stupidity of the average person. Like, you know, think about how stupid the average person is. And then just consider the fact that half of everyone is dumber than that. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's where we're at. Right. And so, you know, I think Bitcoin being the least confiscatable form of money, or if you want to use Tone's word, unconfiscatable, which is a made up word, but I like it. Uh, you know, it's the least confiscatable form of, of money and, and like uh, wealth, really. And so like, you know, rich people are going to figure this out and, you know, they're going to look for places to store their wealth where it can't be confiscated away from them because they have a lot to lose. Uh, you can also cross a hostile border with your Bitcoin in your head. And so if you have $10 billion of wealth, you can literally cross a hostile border with all of that in your head. Look what happened to the Russian oligarchs when the sanctions came down. Everybody around the West was trying to strip them of their wealth. Can't happen in Bitcoin, right? There's nothing for them to do about it. So I think, yeah, there's there's a lot of factors that are all pointing towards towards Bitcoin. But if you're talking about like the speculation of the crowd, that's going to continue. And most of it won't be in Bitcoin, which is actually like it's a good thing for the long term. You know, retail investors looked at Bitcoin this last cycle and they were like, it's too goddamn expensive. I'd rather buy this picture of a monkey or I'd rather buy Shiba Inu because they have like tremendous unit bias. That's not slowing down anytime soon, especially not when a single Bitcoin costs more than somebody's house. It'll be even more of that effect. I agree with you, but do you think you don't think that because of the tightening conditions and like the la the, the like decline of monetary privilege, you don't think that will put like more of a logical spin on things, or do you think it's just gonna? Well, if the tightening if the tightening continued, yeah, but I don't. My base case is that I expect the tightening to reverse course and for them to ease pretty rapidly. And it'll re reinflate all the and nonsense. It'll reinflate all the craziness, and I think you're gonna continually see that. Like that's the Tina's been saying, you know, few. Fugoid cycle, fugoid cycle. I don't know how to say it. Matthew Pines has been tweeting about it as well. It's like, you know, basically we're in this period where, you know, there's going to be increasing expansion and contraction, right? And that's going to cause a lot of volatility in asset prices to the upside and then back down again. Uh, and as liquidity crises unfold, you're going to see continually that risk assets will sell off. So, you're going to see all that money go into NFTs and bullshit. Like I think I've been telling Brad, I think the next shitcoin bubble is centered around 
identity. I don't know how the shit coiners will uh, take identity and bastardize it, but I know that they will because I've seen them do it time and time again. And so there will be some sort of new stupid identity coin bullshit that's coming out. Um, and that'll be the basis of the next the next shitcoin cycle. It's going to be very painful to watch, as it always is. Uh, it's going to inflate even higher than it was last time. Like, that's the base case. Because, the you know, central banks are going to reverse course. They have to. Uh, it's only a matter of time. So it's like, the question is, though, when do they reverse course? And are you in a position to make it until they reverse course? So and if you're not in that position, you should shore up resources and get in that position. In that environment, Hoddle, how do we handle the next bubble then? If, if, if like <laughs> this time we were just like burying our heads in the sand and calling it all scams and like gets getting triggered all the time and yeah. watching this craziness, how do you think Bitcoiners should prepare for like processing and reacting to the next wave of this nonsense? I got to tell you, I don't have a good answer for this because I've just been like out here for the last fucking seven years. I mean, I, listen. All throughout 2017, I was fighting with the XRP army. And then all throughout 2020, 2021, I was fighting with people who bought monkey JPEG. So, like, I have no good plan for how to solve it. I'm just going <laughs> to probably fight with the identity bros when they do identity <laughs> tokens, you know? Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, wh- how else are you supposed to stop it? Like, people are aggressively stupid. They want to bet on, gamble on things that are, you know outright ponzi schemes and like the regulators are allowing it and are in bed with the ponzi scheme promoters so it's like i don't know what to do i just throw up my fucking hands yeah it's good it's this weird dynamic where if you're critical of it you're looked at as a toxic bitcoin maxi or and a yes or something right yeah, like, like, yeah you hate technology you're a Luddite. Why do you hate innovation bro it's like i love innovation <laughs> dude i'm a fucking bitcoiner all my my family's entire net worth is in digital money my guy like come on i was here before you i love innovation this is not innovation like the, the way yeah, that it's, i it's like basically to... taking uh well i'm not gonna say anything interesting here but it's 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 not about the uh the the reality of the situation that's just a very effective or a sometimes effective argument to basically cut try to cut the knees out uh from the people that you don't like you just make it they're mean yeah right 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 Everybody, everybody, this is the funniest thing too. It's like, how come, how come nobody saw this coming? How come nobody warned us about Terra Labs? It's like the Bitcoiners did. It's like, uh, but you guys are such dicks. Yeah. (laughs) Motherfucker, I've been screaming about this shit for. Yeah, but Um, you guys are rude. Al's Lacrosse had this great tweet, which was, if only we had warned them an additional 12 million times. Yeah. If only. If only yeah. we hadn't spent hours and hours I mean, and hours in Clubhouse and everywhere else and on Twitter, like trying. I to took a lot of shit from from like my crypto friends because I'm. They call me the Peter Schiff of DeFi because I and I don't want to be the Peter Wait, Schiff what? of DeFi. You know what I mean? Like because I'm always going on to these podcasts and like having going to Twitter Spaces and always talking about the the bear case and the negatives. Uh, and the fundamentals of all this stuff and how weak they are and how they're probably going to go down 99%. And, you know, they just call me the Peter Schiff of DeFi because I love Bitcoin, but I don't like all the other crap. Yeah. You go into the DeFi spaces, the quote unquote DeFi, by the way, it's centralized as fuck. And, uh, you tell it like it is. I think one, like I went on real vision like three times in the last, this, this last cycle. And the goal was to go on Real Vision and expose their audience to like Bitcoin or Logic and just sort of like slap the Kool-Aid out of their hands and just 
to say, hey, like, look at this stuff from a first principles point of view. It It's not decentralized. It's overvalued. I'm not going to say all of these DeFi things are Ponzi scams, but I am going to tell you why they're way overvalued and that it's a game of insiders and you're likely going to get wrecked because you're overvaluing it, believing narratives. So I don't know if I want to... Cont- I think I probably will continue that strategy next cycle just to try to engage more with the crypto people to, to get Bitcoin or logic out there. Because like in, you know, the, the one thing that was really good about the bubble pop last time was that we got Michael Saylor, Corey Clipston, um, Galloway Money from, you know, or uh, Nicholas Bertie from Galloway Money. Robert Breedlove, like there's a whole bunch of these people that came in kind of like from the shitcoin bubble. They came, they got drawn in from, you know, crypto or NFT, I mean, crypto or, or Ethereum or ICOs, or they just finally started paying attention to it. But in the, in the, in the absolute like routing of those markets, the bear market produced some really significant network effects for Bitcoin. Like people that were great thinkers, good think boys. They had lots of good thinky thoughts, as Huddle would say, for Bitcoin. So in a way, like we're going to like forge another probably like 15 or 20 or maybe 200 amazing uh, thinkers that realize all that shit they were sold as the future of finance was just Ponzi scams and VCs just doing boiler room pump and dumps. And hopefully they will kind of recognize that and start thinking about Bitcoin and maybe become positive network effects for Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, we always meant new maximalists. Certainly there's going to be some portion of maximalists, you know, who come out of this, you know, NFT bubble. <laughs> the NFT guys. The NFT guys are in like La La Land, I think, because they have one, their their pieces are one of ones. And so they're basically just like, Mine's still valued at 100000 <laughs> I'm not willing to sell it for less than that. It's like, well, there's no liquidity in your market, my dude. It's like, I'm not selling anyway. I'm still rich. You know? You're like, but you're not. It's like, eh, I don't know. That is, is that's you. That, that's exactly what happened in the last bubble pop was the people that had invested in all these ICOs that never got the launch because the bubble popped. They were stuck with all these illiquid safts and they're like marking these things at like $100,000 value. Oh, well, I invested 100000 in this token and my saft says 100000 on it, even though nobody's going to buy it for me. I'm still I still got $100,000 saft. I can't wait for the next bubble to, to come up in this coin to launch. Well, 95% of those things actually just literally went to zero because... It's just not like the price went down. It's just like the bid just completely went away. There was no yeah. bid on these things anymore. So I think that is going to happen to a lot of these NFT people. And it's just going to be all of a sudden. It's going to be like, you know, if we continue on this path where we're mimicking the last bear market, another month or two of this is going to be like NFTs are just going to just go to zero. Like the, most of these like apes and punks and all that stuff, the bid will just disappear. Nobody will want to buy any of that crap anymore. But fun fact there was an analysis on the nft market during the bull cycle and even during the bull cycle 87 percent of nfts were valued at zero so well, <laughs> we're that number from 87 percent to 100 percent, but it's not that big a change to strengthen both of your arguments though I, I forget the exact dollar value but that nft that jack dorsey made of his first ever tweet that sold for millions upon millions of dollars just two months ago was listed on an exchange and 
barely got a bid higher than a four figure bid. Like right. after paying multiple millions of dollars for this. So to everyone's point, you can say it's worth a million dollars, but if no one's willing to pay a million dollars, it's not really worth a million dollars. Now, conversely, my Bitcoins are worth 10 million a piece because <laughs> I'm not willing to part with them for any less than that. Okay. And listen, yeah, we're different. Not, you may yeah, I mean, your, your logic is the argument and say, well, why isn't this the same argument you're making with Bitcoin? It's because I'm better than you. That's why. <laughs> you understand that? It really is that simple. Yeah. Take a look in the mirror. Yeah. See how your face does not line up with American Hoddles and all those differences that you see. That's why you're a piece of shit. <laughs> Gentlemen, this was really fun. Uh, I'm going to shamelessly, before I give you guys the final word, just remind everyone who is watching ticket prices for Bitcoin 2023 do go up in price next Friday. So lock in these cheap ticket prices while they're available now. That's all I got. Hoddle, Brad. I'll let each of you talk over each other in pure clubhouse fashion to try and shill whatever you need to shill or tell people to follow <laughs> you wherever you want. But you can only talk at the same time. Fully kidding. Okay, everybody Brad, go you, on to clubhouse first, because clubhouse first. is where... Well, sorry. Then I'll go. If, then you if, could, then I'll go. Oh, sorry. First you say what you're going to say, then I'll say. Uh, I'm just I'm talking about Clubhouse right now for a second. Yeah. If you just give me a second. I just want to okay, of course, yeah. chill Clubhouse. So if you Absolutely. go on to Clubhouse, um, you can come hang out with me. <laughs> I don't, I, it was great. I'm going to end with, uh, listen, here's the thing. We're not in a bear market, okay? We're just having fun staying poor. It's very different. Very different phenomenon, you know? Think about it. Do you like, hey, Brad, do you like to have fun? I love to have fun. Cool. Have fun staying poor. Hey, P, do you like to have fun? <laughs> Nothing makes me happier. Cool. Have fun staying poor. Hey, Q, what about you? You like to have fun? Nope. Okay. You should go to Ethereum, though. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. My friends, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for joining us. Follow both of these people. Brad's on Twitter. Hoddle is not on Twitter. You can't follow him. Yeah, don't, don't follow me in your life. That's called stalking. I'll shoot you. Okay? Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> it's America. We stay strapped, motherfucker. Guys, thank you again. Tune in tomorrow. Q and I will be back. Back on our bullshit. Bye.